2: Her Bay Area practice focuses on helping her clients to manage their wealth through estate and tax planning, to managing their debt through reconstruction or bankruptcy. And now, it's time for Selwyn's Law.
1: Good day and welcome once again to Selwyn's Law. My name is Selwyn Whitehead and I'm a California Bar Admitted Attorney and I'm also a Bankruptcy Law Certified Specialist who's been cert- certified by the State Bar of California's Board of Legal Specialization. In in addition to my J.D., I hold a couple of master's degrees in law. That is to say, I am both a master of the laws of taxation and a master of the laws of intellectual property. And because of my education, my training, my experiences, my life's observation and my lifelong interest in business and money and finance and the creation, preservation and transfer of wealth within families, communities, including tribal communities, and these roles... Uh, that is to say the particular aspects of economics that you know these particular roles play in the lives of everyday people like you and me, I primarily practice bankruptcy law. However, I also practice some related fields, including uh, debt wealth management, estates and trusts, real estate, and of course, taxation law in what I consider to be an overall financial practice. Now, with these areas of, of law is my reference point, that is to say, is they relate to the personal, familial, community, and small business aspects of finance. I've spent the last 40 years, that is to say, even before I got my license and certainly afterwards, uh, fighting for the economic empowerment, the economic independence, and the economic autonomy of women and people and communities of color, including indigenous communities. And because I grew up as a military brat, as I've shared with you, and helped create another one with my former military spouse. I have firsthand knowledge of just how hard it can be, sometimes financially and economically, for our citizens, soldiers, sailors, airmen, and women, and Marines, and their families in our sometimes less than patriotic capital-based economic system, especially after these individuals separate from the service, and as a result, I also proudly serve uh, veterans of all stripes and in all branches of the military. And as I've really emphasized to you, I just think so much of our senior citizens because of the contribution that the seniors in my family uh, made to me, especially my two grannies, who faced and survived and even thrived in what I consider to be the four great economic challenges of the last century, including the Great Depression, uh, World War II's privation, and the ongoing uh, systemic racism and misogyny that continues up and through our society today that these women who helped raise me and loved me went through uh, as they became mature people in the post-Reconstruction Jim Crow South that I have to share with you. I spent some time in with them. And as a result of what I know that seniors have to go through, even in the best of times, um, I feel an obligation when I'm able to at least attempt to vindicate the rights of seniors who more and more find themselves, unfortunately, the victims of some of the most pernicious forms of financial elder abuse Uh, that you can imagine that seems to be running rampant in our society today. So once again, in case you haven't guessed it, the purpose of Selwyn's Law is to discuss the law related to your money, and more probably than not, in these times of high inflation, the lack thereof, and your overall finances, and what you may need to consider to protect or reclaim or rehabilitate your and or your family's and or your businesses, financial health, wealth, and money-related well-being, as I understand these concepts in this non-threatening education forum. However, I must once again ask you to please note that this show doesn't provide any legal advice, nor am I developing an attorney-client relationship with anyone within the sound of my voice. Instead, this show strives strictly to serve as an educational forum for the exchange of information from me to you that might be helpful to you as you begin a more detailed search for information that's tailored to your specific set of facts and circumstances, and hopefully provide you with at least an overall outline of some of the key issues that you may need to consider as you seek out and find qualified professional help, the help I think you need if you have a legal issue that intersects with your finances and or your assets and or your debts. Now, um, it's nice to know that a mixed group of folks listen to this show, including some of you that don't agree with me. Oh, gee. And that's fine. Uh, with me if you disagree with me, as long as you uh, reach out to me, if you need to do so, up politely, and I will make every effort to get back to you and discuss the matter politely. Um, As I've shared with you in the past, um, gosh, it seems like years (laughs) I've been doing this show, I've heard from folks from all over the place, as far away as Hong Kong and Japan and a bunch of folks in the United Kingdom and other parts of Europe, including a person from Kiev way back a few years ago when it was pronounced Kiev, like chicken Kiev that I like to eat sometimes. As such, I was not surprised to hear from some folks here in the U.S. who take exception with my firmly held belief, the belief that I hold as a very flawed Christian, but nonetheless, I think that a woman has a right to privacy, um, which is among the too many to list unenumerated God-given rights transferred to all U.S. citizens by the founders in the Ninth Amendment, which gives we women the right to decide whether, when, and for and with whom we will have a child. Now, This is because in my not so humble opinion, a woman's right to her body, to our bodies, to our bodily autonomy was grafted from the same place the founders deposited the right to bodily autonomy for men. And as such, it is my opinion that just as men cannot be commanded to turn over control, or the decision-making aspects about their rights to control their reproductive organs to a government. Women cannot be compelled to lend lease our bodies to any branch of the federal or state government, period. Said another way, what's good for the goose is good for the gander. Or I guess more to the point from a gender perspective, what's good for the gander is also good for the goose. Now, mixing my barnyard animal metaphors a bit here by using my own story to provide some context to the Dodd versus Jackson Women's Health Care Organization, the Dodd, the Dobbs case out of Mississippi, where that state is seeking the Supreme Court's review of. A Mississippi law titled the Gestational Age Act that prohibits abortions after 15 weeks gestation except in a medical emergency or in a case of severe fetal abnormality. Just an aside here, I'm surprised that they recognize such a thing. But anyway, The Mississippi law replaces the viability standard created by Roe and a companion case known as Casey that relied upon the findings from the vast majority of the United States medical community that estimates that a fetus is viable enough to exist outside the womb after about 24 weeks. And that is the cutoff period applicable in Roe, as articulated in this companion case known as Casey. As such, the Mississippi law would cut off access to a legal abortion by nine weeks, that is to say, down from 24 to 15 weeks. So in Dobbs, the Supreme Court has been asked by Mississippi to examine whether pre viability access to an elective abortion up to 24 weeks, as articulated in Roe v. Casey, is constitutional. Now, let's be candid with each other and admit that we know that due to judicial activism uh, by some members of the legal and judicial community on the political uh, right spectrum, have publicly espoused their 50-year commitment to overturn Roe v. Wade. And as such, the state of Mississippi initiated um, uh, this particular uh, litigation knowing full well that in today's political environment, that is both the cause and effect of the current makeup of the Supreme Court, it is a fait accompli, more or less, that the court will go beyond the question before it. That is to say, making a determination about a question of fact, uh, whether the correct pre-viability age is 15 versus 24 weeks, to teeing up a judicial assist, uh, decision that will, for, as a matter of law, make access to lawful, medical, safe abortions unconstitutional in the first instance. So you might ask, why am I going to such lengths to talk about this matter after all? Isn't this show supposed to be all about the law as it intersects with finance and economics on a platform that reaches out to and serves audience of people of faith? Yes. And that's the very reason why I'm broaching this subject on the eve of the Supreme Court's decision on this matter that is expected to come out in a couple of weeks. So when we come back, I'll tell you why. This is a fit topic for discussion amongst Christians. But first, we'll take a short break, and I'll see you on the other side.
2: Now back to Selwyn's Law. Once again, your host, Selwyn Whitehead.
1: Welcome back to Selwyn's Law as we continue our discussion about why I'm going to such lengths to talk about this matter at all. After all, isn't this show supposed to be about the law as it intersects finance and economics on a platform that reaches out to and serves an audience of people of faith? The answer is yes. And that's the very reason why I'm broaching this subject on the eve of the Supreme Court's coming decision on this matter that is expected to be out in the next couple of weeks, maybe even next week. And it's because this show is about the intersection of law and finance and economics, such as how can a government use its judicial powers to compel a majority of its citizens. That is to say, we women who make up 51% of the population in the United States, how can a government undertake a course of action that not only takes away a woman's right to control her bodily function, it also compels her to undertake an at least 18-year financial commitment to raise and support and otherwise care for A new human being with her own finances and with its own financial and emotional needs that women and girls who become pregnant may not be able to provide on her own with no financial or emotional help from anyone including the government that is compelling her to undertake this decades-long financial commitment. There is such a thing as a female human being being too young or too old or too ill or too poor to be able to raise a child on her own without her own or someone else's whole tribe pitching in. Now, Most of us, if we are truthful with ourselves and our God, we will have to admit that even when we have a life's partner who is not only committed to us, but to our children as well, there are times when we need other members of our tribe to help us raise our children, even when we are otherwise financially ready, willing, and able to support our children on our own. So just think about how hard it is for a young woman, or a girl for that matter, with no man of her own and no loving and supporting family, and no skills or trade of her own, or no money or prospects of her own to raise a child on her own. Especially if she already has one or more children that she already can't afford to raise on her own because she's tribeless. Someone, that is to say, like me, who was fortunate enough to have the love and respect of the man who fathered my child a man who was ready, willing and able to support me and our child. Plus, I had my dad and my grands and my extended family who were also ready, willing and able to give me and my child their financial and emotional support if I decided not to get married. And believe it or not, some in my family, including my dad, did not want me to get married, even though they thought very highly of my then boyfriend, friend, fiance. But instead, they thought it was in my best interest for me to go off to college in another state and they would take care of my child and not spoil it. Yeah, right because they loved me and wanted me to have the best possible choices for my future, but they still gave me the right to decide. And it's only because I have been so blessed to have had the ability to thrive due to my tribe's unwavering support that I know firsthand that most Black women and girls And even poor white women and girls in Mississippi who find themselves, as my grandfather called it, in the family way without a husband, and then are forced to carry, give birth, and then support one or more children on their own, will condemn that woman to a life of poverty along with her children. These are women and girls that I don't know personally, but who I care a great deal about. I'm uniquely qualified to discuss the Dobbs case because not only was I born in Mississippi in a military installation while my dad was overseas, 17 years later, I gave birth in that same hospital that had been converted from military to civilian use. And that same hospital where I nearly succumbed to maternal Mortality, like so many black women in America do, but especially women in Mississippi. Now, the conversation I had with the very nice lady who wanted to convince me that I should not talk about nor support any abortions anywhere, because in her eyes, all abortions were wrong in the eyes of God, because she herself almost had to have one. And it was through prayer that she came to believe that women should carry a baby to term and then if they can't take care of it, put it up for adoption. However, I said to her, God gave us all a brain as well as a heart and a soul and a spirit. And I believe we must use all of those facilities to come to our individual decision as opposed to getting involved in groupthink. And if we make a decision, we need to be prepared to explain to God our choice on that day of reckoning that we all will face. However, I'm gonna focus on my brain for the next couple of minutes here and provide you with some information that you need to know about Mississippi. What is the maternal mortality rate in Mississippi? It is one of the highest in the country and it's been climbing more than a decade. From 2010 to 2012, the last measure an average of nearly 40 women died for every 100,000 birth. The risk varied drastically by race. For black women, it's 54.7 and much higher than the rate for white women, which is 29.3. And that's from an article in the Washington Post on um, April the 24th, 2015. So check out the Washington Post. What is the infant mortality rate in Mississippi? The state has the highest infant mortality rate in the country, about nine deaths per thousand in 2019, and higher than average. Uh, the, the mortality rate uh, that's 33 per thousand that was in this country between 2013 and 2016. During the same period, the. the maternal mortality rate for women in Mississippi was higher, and I already gave you that stat. How much does it cost to raise a child to 18 in Mississippi? It's no secret that raising a child can be costly. Expected parents may soon realize the cost to furnish a home to a newborn can add up quickly and exorbitantly, but that's only the beginning. According to Learning Tree researchers, they estimate that the basic cost of raising a child in the United States is $20,152 annually. Those costs vary by state, running as high as $28,785 annually in the District of Columbia to as low as $13,596 in Mississippi. So, What are the income levels in Mississippi? Nearly 20% of Mississippi's 3 million residents live in poverty, according to the Census Bureau. In 2019, the median household income was 68,745,000 in Mississippi. What do black women earn in Mississippi? $21,049. What kind of welfare payments do women in Mississippi who had households get? $146 a month for a family of two, or $170 a month for a family of three, or $194 a month for a family of four. That means that Black women in Mississippi with two children costing $13,596 per year, or... For two kids, $27,192 a year has a deficit of $6,143. Hmm. And now, what about this adoption rate? Well, in Mississippi in 2012, the year I got these statistics, only 57.9% of white children in state custody were adopted. That number dropped to 39.5% of black children in state custody. So as you can see, these black children do not have very much of a future, a financial future anyway. And it's one of the considerations that women who become pregnant in Mississippi need to consider And I would say to those of you in Mississippi who want the Supreme Court to say that having a legal, clean and safe abortion is off the table, you need to figure out how to deal with the income gap in your state. Now, government, including our courts, need to stay out of the business of religion and therefore regulating a woman's productive organs. Women must have the full panoply of rights that are needed to make her life worthwhile in the United States. To do otherwise is a violation of the Takings Clause of the Fifth Amendment as applied to the states by the 14th Amendment. And in case you don't know, the taking Clause is where the government takes private property for public use, which sounds like what's going on here. And we should not let that happen. So, you know, we're going to leave it there for now, but always in closing here on Selwyn's Law, we always want to stay on the right side of the law, including the laws that help us live our lives fully under the protections of our constitutional rights guaranteed, and that's our privacy and liberty rights under the 9th and 14th Amendments. So, till we get together next time, please take care and be safe and be wise.
2: Thank you for taking the time to listen to Selwyn's Law. Remember, the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead is a designated debt relief agency under the federal law and provides legal assistance to consumers seeking relief under the Bankruptcy Code. When it comes to your finances and your rights, seek no other than the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead. Selwyn is your go to finance attorney, specializing in estate planning, wealth management, bankruptcy, tax, and real estate law. In other words, Selwyn knows her way around the dollar, and your rights are protected by our Laws. Protect your money. Know your rights. Partner with Selwyn Whitehead. For immediate assistance or if you have questions, call 510 633 1276. 510 633 1276 or go to
0: SelwynWhitehead.com. The preceding paid program is sponsored by the Law Office of Selwyn Whitehead, who is solely responsible for its content.